0: Good morning. morning. Let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 5. Mark, Mark Chapter 5. Now, before we get into this passage, I'm just going to read one verse from Colossians. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it for you when a soul is saved there's an incredible rescue that takes place every time and as said Colossians he has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of, of the son of his love now this morning we're going to look today at a man who was very visibly delivered from the power of darkness the man who was possessed by legion Start- we're we'll going to start reading in uh, verse 1. And instantly um, there are several accounts given of this man's deliverance. We see this man also in Luke and Matthew. I'm going to refer a little bit to all three passages, but we're going to mainly concentrate in Mark chapter 5 because this, this is the most detailed account of what happened to this man. Starting in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat... Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, and cutting himself with stones. Stop there for a moment. Now, we know very little about this man's life before he met the Lord Jesus. We know from later on, after he's been freed from the demons, we know that he still had family and friends that were still alive because the Lord sends him to them. We don't know exactly how long he was in this demon-possessed state. In the parallel passage in Luke, it said he'd been this way for a long time. So I'm thinking for a long time, he'd probably been this way for years. Now you might wonder, how did this man get this way? I mean, people don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden they're possessed by thousands of demons. And we don't know exactly how it happens, how demon possession happens. It's never actually shown in the scripture. We We do know one thing. It occurs in a life that's completely empty of God. Now hold your fingers in Mark 5. We're going to turn for a moment to Matthew 12. Verses 43 and 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes out and takes with them seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Now notice in this brief passage, referring to a man, when the demon refers to the house to a man, is empty. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit dwelling there. There's no mention of the Spirit of Jesus Christ being there. And there are a lot of things today here that can leave a person Leave a mind in an empty state. Drugs can, occult practices. You know, it's possible, this man led a very loose lifestyle before he met the Lord Jesus. Perhaps he led a lifestyle that left him very open to demonic influences. We really can't say for sure. We don't see him before this. And from this passage we also see, you know, all demons, of course, are evil, all are wicked. Well, we see there are even degrees of how wicked demons are. There are some more wicked than others. Let's turn back to our passage in Mark. Now, it's difficult for us to imagine what this man went through for many years. Boy, when a man is possessed by a demon, he's really a prisoner in his own body. You're awake. You're aware. But you really don't have any control of what you're doing. In fact, you're forced to do things that you don't want to do. There's a a voice in your mind overriding your own thoughts. And in the case of this man, it wasn't just one voice. There were thousands. It says, I mean, we know he was possessed by thousands of demons later. There were thousands of voices in his head. And we see... This man who was possessed by the Legion, he's the most serious case of demon possession we see in all of scripture. There are a number of other cases where we see the Lord helping people who have been demon possessed. We see in those cases other people, perhaps family members, are bringing their demon possessed relatives to the Lord so that they can be helped. But in the case of this man, no one, no one could bring this man, even if someone wanted to it says he had, he had been bound in shackles and chains before, but he had, he had broken them all. No one could reason with him. It says neither could anyone tame him. I think somewhere down the road, there must have been some attempt to reason with the man to help him. But then those attempts had failed. And after a while, the attempts to help him just, began, just became attempts to shackle and chain the guy to lock him away so he wouldn't cause harm to others. But then those attempts failed too. No one could bring this man to the Lord. So the Lord had to come to him. This man was in the eyes of the people in the Gatherings, He was a lost cause. Where we see in this passage, he's nowhere near any of his family or friends. It's possible they had given up on him by this time. Maybe they had tried to help him, but he had done a lot to hurt them and push them away. At the point which we see him, there's no attempts to chain or shackle the guy. People are just steering clear of him. This man, he was probably in despair many days. It was day after day. Month after month, year after year went by, when he was tormented by the demons, he must have thought to himself, he was never going to get out of the situation, that he would be forever trapped in this condition. He must have thought there was no one that could help him. And something, even us believers, you know, who know the true and living and all-powerful God, we... We can sometimes get tempted to think this way. We can still we get tempted sometimes to think of someone as a lost cause. There's sometimes we might know someone that's perhaps so hardened, seems so lost, and you think to yourself, there's no way that person's ever gonna get saved. But the Lord, of course, is able to save all these people. And if I'm if I think to myself that the Lord's not able to save those kind of people, then I'm really thinking that the Lord is not able to do, as he says in Ephesians 3, that He's not able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Of course he can save them. And we really can't say ourselves when some might be a lost cause. I can remember uh back about ten years ago now, um, in case any of you don't know, Noed was one of the people who brought me to the Lord. At one point, Noed. um you know, he had witnessed me for over a year, but at one point he was thinking, Michael has rejected the gospel. There's no, there's no way he's going to be saved. But praise the Lord. The Lord does not give up on people easily. Going on in this passage to verse 5, to verse 6, sorry. Back to this man. But when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now, what's going on here? First, the man worships the Lord then all of a sudden, he cries out in such a way as to push the Lord away. What we really have here, there's a conflict going on in this man's mind. In verses 6 and 7. And of course, this man longs for help. Now, the Lord Jesus had already cast out many demons before this. It's possible maybe the man had heard of the Lord by now. Maybe he had even thought, if only I could meet Jesus. Jesus. And so the man worshipped him. But the demons are controlling this man's voice. And they have something different to say. Now, demons don't run away from the Lord. It's really useless for them to try. You know, As powerful as they are and able to torment people, they're, of course, no, no match for the Lord. They know full well the Lord is capable of completely destroying them. They can do no harm to the Lord. But they can try and harm, him and harm him in word. And so in this case, we see them doing all they can to try to, and defy the Lord openly.
1: Now, this, this is not the only
0: way, instantly the demons try and attack the Lord. We know from um, 1 Timothy 4, demons can be the originator of false doctrine. Now, a lot of false doctrine causes people to blaspheme the Lord. Going verse 9. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and all the demons begged him, saying, Send us the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. In verse 9, it's interesting. The Lord asks... What is your name? Now, of course, the Lord knows who the man what the, the Lord knew who the man was and who the demons were. So why does he ask for his name? Actually, this is the only time we see him doing this. There are a number of other occasions where the Lord is casting out demons, but he never asks for their name as on this occasion. And the reason he does this is because the Lord really wanted to show who he was really talking to. To show them a man for was how terrible his condition really was. That he was a man possessed by thousands of demons. And it's really scary here to see how this man is speaking. The pronouns in this verse don't make sense. Verse 9. The man is referred to as he. He's one guy. But then when he speaks, he says, We are many. Now we actually don't know how many demons were in this man. You know, this account, of Mark, it states that there were about two thousand swine. But there could have easily been more than two thousand demons, because we know more than one demon can inhabit one body. There could have been more than five thousand, because in the day in Jesus' time, a Roman legion could be over five thousand soldiers. however many demons there were, we see it from what happened to the swine and to this man. That demons really only have one desire and purpose, a desire to cause pain and suffering. Going on to verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, let's look at this man for a moment. He was sitting. He was no longer trying to harm anyone or harm himself. He was clothed for perhaps the first time in who knows how many years. He was in his right mind. He was for the first time in years thinking his own thoughts, doing what he wanted, and for the first time in who knows how long, he knew he was in the presence of someone who loved him and cared for him. Really, this could describe the condition of any believer who's just been newly saved. Now, this passage really shows the importance the Lord placed to one soul. You know, the Lord only spent a very short time in this country, in the country of the Gadarenes. Now we see in the previous passage, if you look back to chapter 4, the Lord in the previous passage just mentioned is mentioned crossing, as crossing the sea. Then we're going to skip ahead to the end of this passage, to verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. So we see the Lord, he crossed all the way to the country of the Gadarenes. He met this. Demon possessed man, then he just heads all the way back to the other side. He came all this way just from one man. The Lord really gives us a lesson here in his his intense desire to reach the lost. I'd like to consider this morning when looking at this man, what are some things that discourage us from reaching out to people, trying to reach out to people with the gospel? In a lot of ways, it's easier for us to witness to people we are comfortable with—you know, family, friends, and neighbors that we know well, that we enjoy talking to, that we enjoy spending time with. Now, of course, we should approach them; we should be witnesses to them. But then things can get a little harder. Let's say the Lord places someone in your life that annoys you a little bit. You don't really enjoy talking to them so much. and The thing is, the Lord has placed them in your life. You see them on a daily basis. Maybe they're a neighbor. Maybe they're a coworker, And they still need the Lord. But then let's take it up another notch. Well, if there's someone who offends you on a regular basis, that every time they come in the room, you just kind of cringe a bit. You just would rather not be in the same room with them. But they still need the Lord, too. Well, let's even take it up another notch. Let's say there's someone that you're actually afraid of, someone that really intimidates you. But you still know they need the Lord. The fact is, we're very we're very influenced by outside appearances when trying to witness. It's much easier for us to hand a track to the person who looks, you know, clean cut, well grimmed, and all put together. than like if you're asked to, well, try and witness to this guy who's maybe three foot, three feet taller than you got tattoos all over his arms. Has a really mean expression on his face and has something on his shirt that says, like, full contact fighter. <laughs> Suddenly, witnessing is, seems a little harder now. Now, of course, it's not just appearances that can make us afraid. People's behavior can intimidate us, too. And maybe you see someone cursing the Lord, someone who's hardened, someone who's bitter. And you think to yourself, there's no way That person's ever gonna get saved. They're too far gone. There's no one that could possibly help that person. But this man who was possessed by the, by Legion, he probably acted and looked a lot more frightening than anyone we've seen in our lifetime. This man, you know, he was filthy from having lived for years in the tombs. His long, his hair was long and unkempt. Years of not having cut it, and he probably has some terrible scars all over his body from cutting himself and breaking shackles and chains. And we know, too, that he actually attacked people that tried to go near him because it says in a parallel passage, I'm just going to read the, in Matthew 8 for a second, it says that um, he was exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. Now, if we saw this man... Now, notice, too, in in Mark 5, it says that he ran towards Jesus when he saw Jesus from afar. That's verse 6. Now, if we saw someone like this running towards us as he ran towards the Lord Jesus, I think the first inclination many of us have would be to run. And don't forget, too, even though they're not mentioned specifically, the, the disciples are here, too. Jesus, Jesus did not cross the lake alone. They're seeing everything that's going on. And perhaps earlier in the evening, they had wondered, why are we going across the, across the water right now? And now they knew. And perhaps as they saw this man rushing in their direction, they may have had a, a moment of fear too. And yet, the Lord does the exact opposite of what we would do. Instead of avoiding this man, we can see he's actually gone out of his way to meet this man. Let's look at this man through the Lord's eyes. Where we see someone be feared and avoided, the Lord sees a soul that needs to be saved. Where we see someone that we might be repulsed by, the Lord has compassion on this man. Well, you might think to yourself, well, Jesus is God, so of course he had nothing to fear from a demon-possessed man. But I'm just a regular guy. If I'm asked to witness someone who I'm kind of afraid of, I mean, how am I supposed to show compassion for that kind of person? Now, I'm not saying go out to the worst possible part of town, go to the scariest looking guy you can meet, and try and witness to him. No, there's no need to endanger yourself unnecessarily. But you know, should the Lord bring someone like this across our path, someone that we're intimidated by, we should still be open to being that witness in their lives and I'm not saying it's easy to be a witness that kind of person. It's a good time to pray for boldness. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, "Well, wow, I sure hope the Lord ever brings someone across my way like that." But when we think about you know the kingdom of God, the church would be so much the poor. If believers only approach those people they were comfortable approaching. There's at least one occasion I can remember where a believer was sent to a man that you could say was as anti Christian as you get. Now, this man was responsible for, well, he had the part in the murder of believers. He had the part, he had a number of believers thrown in prison. I mean, a lot of people were afraid of this man possessed by Legion. That's true. But a lot of believers were afraid of this man we're going to take a brief look at. I heard the name already. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 9 for a minute. Starting at verse 10, Acts 9 verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he he said, here I am, Lord. So So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Stop there for a second. Now, Ananias is telling the Lord nothing he already knows. The Lord knows better than anyone else when the saints are being persecuted. He feels a pain more than anyone else. Of course he knows all the harm that Saul of Tarsus has done. So why is Ananias saying this? I think he's a little, he's afraid. He's probably cringing a bit internally and thinking, Lord, you want me to go to that guy? But continuing on. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine that bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, whether Ananias still had any fears or doubts at this point, we don't know. The scripture doesn't say. I think myself, I might have been a little nervous as as I was walking down Straight Street. Maybe just before I knocked on the door, I still might have had a little apprehension. But continuing on. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And the rest is history. Saul would become Paul, a committed servant of the Lord, a man of God who would do great things for the Lord. A man who could honestly write to other believers and say, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Let's come back to our man in Mark chapter 5. We'll finish the passage, verses 16 through 20. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion for you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. You've longed to be home with the Lord. Some days, especially, perhaps some things are not so easy here, that. I think a little selfishly and I think it would be awesome to be home with the Lord now. But really, we can put ourselves in the place of this man. The Lord has just saved this man. And this man who was formerly demon-possessed, all he wanted to do was just be with the one who saved him. But the Lord had some work for him to do first. Now suddenly we see this man we see him being a witness in Decapolis. Suddenly, this man has become a great example for any believer to follow. If you want to look at a man who's being a good witness, he's a man right now. He's immediately obedient to the Lord's command. In fact, he, we see he even goes beyond what the Lord asks. We're going to turn to. We see in this passage, the Lord tells him, go go home to your friends. Let's look for a second in Luke chapter 8. We're just going to look at one verse in that passage, verse 39. So the Lord says, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So you see, the Lord gave this command to the men who had been possessed by legion: legion, basically go to your home, go to your friends, and tell them what the Lord's done for you. But really, let's look carefully at verse 39. It says he went throughout the whole city. Now, perhaps he had, he immediately went to home to his family and friends. He told them what had happened, how the Lord saved him. And after that, though, it's like, wait a second, that's not enough. I want to tell everybody. So he goes throughout the whole city, telling what great things the Lord had done for him. He was that eager to share about the Lord and how the Lord loved him and saved him. And really, it should be with, that way with us too. We should be that eager to share about what the Lord's done for us. Now, no one I know here has been saved from demon possession. But you've been saved from plenty of other things. You've been saved from eternal punishment in hell. You've been saved from the power of sin. If you're a believer here today, you know that the Lord has had compassion for you when you were a helpless, undeserving sinner. That command that the Lord gave to this man, that's a command we can easily apply to ourselves. Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Now he has had compassion for you. And really, too, the Lord has given us something else in common with this man. Like the demon-possessed man, no, I should say the formerly demon-possessed man, We each have our own unique story of what great things the Lord has done for us, how we met the Lord, and how he had compassion for us. If you're a believer here, each of you, we all have our own testimony. How the Lord saved us from our sin, how he saved us from a life of sin, darkness, head toward hell, and now you're delivered and seated, clothed in your right mind. And it's a story that the Lord wants us all to share. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and how much you've done for us and how you you have had compassion for us and how you still continue to. Do you pray that, Lord, just this week that you would give us a chance to share our testimony with someone out there and pray that someone would ask about you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name.